Hey everyone, it's Yas here and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by a co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT live on Twitter space if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, it's slightly different and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Joe will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you can let me know your thoughts on the new format and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that is at The Coaches Net. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Excited for this one, Joe. Let's start it off, man. How best to work with other coaches? I know we've, we've talked about something similar in the past. But probably maybe good to get your views on what that looks like um, and just to give some clarity and maybe a bit more specificity around coaches on field rather than away from it. But we can we can delve into that as well if, if needs be. Yeah, so the first thing I was thinking about here was just having a real clear understanding of roles and responsibilities. So... You know, it's a great conversation because there's different avenues that I've got going in here where we can draw on our own experiences, right? There's ones where I've been that part-time coach at academy level where I was working with an older coach who's very stuck in his ways and often felt like step on toes or be like too much. You know, there might be times where like I'd make a, a, a coaching point and he would try and like repeat the same point but in a different way um so i think like just trying to avoid certain confusion with players just having a very clear understanding of who's doing what who's leading on what and let's say i'm leading the group or i'm the main transitions in activities i'm the head coach who's the assistant or if i'm managing the group who's managing the individuals you know, um, or maybe we're both managing individuals. It, it does depend. I think that's the first start point. I've got probably about 10 different bullet points we can go into, but that was where my first thought went into is, is there a clear understanding of what the roles and responsibilities are? And then the other thing is like, where do your strengths lie? You know, because I might, let's say me and you working together, Yaz, you've got some really good strengths that are better than mine. So probably, make, like, unless it's an area where I want to get better at, and then you're like, hey, let's do that because that'll, it's good experience for me, or vice versa, it might make more sense that Yaz leads on certain things and I don't, potentially. I don't know, you know, because there might be other areas where that's more of a strength for me. So maybe I lead on that and you do something, you know. So I think it's those will be the areas initially where I think you've got to have a conversation with the coach. And I think that just allows to remove any confusion and also make sure that you work with each other versus against each other. 
So it doesn't have to be that, you know, messages are repeated. We can work in a fashion where it's very time efficient and we're maximising each other's strengths. I don't want your thoughts on that. I think you're spot on. The first thing that my mind goes towards is clarity of, clarity of communication, roles and responsibilities. Just as you said, I think it's really important that coaches are communicating, they are clear on what their roles are within each practice and also understanding that actually if someone's leading, yeah, you might have someone working with individuals, but what are the what are the discussion points? What are the actual key areas in the, of intervention that we're going to focus on? Um, and if one person in particular has planned the session or the or practice or series of practices, is the other coach in this question in this case really clear on what the that coach is going after and why? And I think the bottom line is, you know, depending on what environment you're working, we're all going to have different perspectives, but also we need to remember that we do need to have an agreed outcome or agreed set of goals that we they were trying to hit in each session. So even if our points are our own personal points of opinion are actually contradictory in any way, shape, or form. We need to make sure we're aligned and consistent with what we're saying in the session as a group of coaches or a pair of coaches in that respect. Um, I think from an individual standpoint, also it's recognising it doesn't always have to go straight down the route of one person looking at in possession, one person looking at out of possession. It could literally be that one person focusing on the key task of making sure the collective goals are achieved and someone individually looking at specific things. Even if we're going down the individual route, I think it's also important to remember that what are the individual pieces that we're looking at? Because I think we can sometimes fall into danger, and I've certainly seen this with other coaches and myself, is when the person, quote-unquote, is doing the individual stuff, they just look at anything and everything, and it's not always aligned to the overall outcome of the session, which really is what we should be chasing at the, at, at the same time. So, yeah, just, you know, there's quite a few things, and I think there's loads, so many different directions we can go in it, but I think probably a great place to start on is, you know, what, what are some of the experiences that you've had in particular where where you can share with us around what those roles could look like. Obviously, I've given a couple of examples there around working with individuals, making sure that, you know, we're clear on what the overall outcome is. But have you had different approaches and different kind of setups in terms of how the coaches are, if you like, divvied up in that respect? I think it's a great, um, a great point. You know, are we hitting the objectives for the for the session so what's the overall session objectives and of course what are the objectives that we've got within each activity because even then we, we want to make sure we're hitting those as well as individual player objectives so how we work together to achieve that has got to be key I mean for me you know I reflect on and it's all I guess you get better with experience right hopefully so I remember being um, I'm talking about a role where I was at an academy and I'd got moved up and I was probably the better coach out of the two in terms of coaching and stuff and more like on the laptop and things like that. The other guy was just very stuck in his ways. It was hard and it became a battle at times. And it never became a battle in terms of confrontation. But I knew like that one of the best working relationships I had, um, I've had many, but with a guy uh, called Mark, Mark Fink at Rochdale, and we just clicked. We'd never worked together before. But I remember, like, the first time we found out we were going to work together, we were working at under-12s. Um, and there's a large number of players that have come out of that group as well that have gone on and are still playing in the Football League now. You're talking a few hundred appearances. Um, some have represented England and, and time for other Cap 1 clubs and things like that. 
of that group, we'd never met each other before. We'd never really, like, we spoke a bit, but we'd never really socialised. We just found out those are the age group listings. And there was no actual defined head coach, assistant coach. Some clubs do it differently, right, where they'll have, like, a lead and an assistant. We were both classed as both. If you like, responsibilities and we just gelled off each other and I remember he I always knew that he would be the one that would pull certain individuals aside like on a match day for example we'd have very clear match day roles that we spoke about or some stuff that we never spoke about but we observed we did it and it worked so we just kept doing it and he would pull individuals to a side and give them little chats and I don't know if it was like pep talks or whatever but he would have little individual chats that worked well with certain players, you know. And then there'd be other players that... So I would know, it's not to say I couldn't coach those players, but I didn't have to regurgitate a message there. Um, you know what I mean? And then I would focus on other players. Or I would lead on the warm I'd lead on a lot of the P stuff, whereas he didn't. Um, and we had a busy full-time job as a teacher... So I, I did all the back-end stuff as well and all the PowerPoints and all that. And then the other side of it, you know, you talked about like in possession, out of possession. Again, we, we knew, like, we used to pick certain games where we would call it, a, and no one ever told us to do this. We just did it. Um, we had a touchline coach and a, an analyst, we called it. So there'd be times where he would be, let's say, the analyst, and I would be the guy on the sideline, or vice versa in certain games, sometimes we'd change it at half. And then we would have roles where we wouldn't stand next to each other during the game. So you see a lot of coaches, I'm sure Tony can relate to this, where on a match day, there's like loads of coaches in the dugout or in the areas where you're supposed to be against the sideline. But they all stand very close to each other. And we felt very early on that um, the disadvantage of that would be that we're influencing each other's behaviour. Because let's say I haven't seen something, and then he goes, oh, look at that there. His body, he's got to do this, he's got to do that. He's influencing what I think. Together. We were... We would go when we needed and we found that you know we looked more off the ball we did more off ball coaching um hopefully you can hear me okay sorry if i'm cutting it out we did more off ball coaching than on ball coaching we had uh again if i'm the analyst i was focusing on that in terms of like how are our units looking what's our defensive shape what's our balance off the ball look like and everything would look relate to how we trained as well. So, you know, at Rochdale at the time, we worked in six to 12-week cycles. And within that, you'd, you'd go right across, you know, the phases of the game. But you'd have like two weeks in possession, two weeks out of possession, two weeks transition. Whether it was right or wrong, that's what we did. So within that, we would obviously know what block we're on. And again, what messages that we're not only trying to hit home for individuals, because every individual has their own individual objective, but what we were trying to hit home in terms of what week we were on. So then me and him would have a specific focus. So that's one way of how we did it, you know. And then in other clubs, as you've said before, you know, sometimes certain people have got certain roles on the bench. 
whether they're in possession, out of possession, restarts, substitutions. You know, I've known some coaches where they're purely managing the subs. That's their job. Um, and they're thinking about like substitution strategies and why they're bringing on so-and-so for so-and-so, why this player is playing X amount of minutes in that position as part of their development plan. So there's different ways to to do it. I think what's come out of this is that there's a there's a clear understanding between the two individuals or three or four or five, however many there are, that everyone knows exactly what who's doing what, but also um, who's reporting to who. So I think that's a huge one, Yaz, without giving too much information once, um, is that the... You know, let's say I'm the assistant or whoever, like I'm one of the coaches on the side. One of those roles would be to make sure that I know who I report that information to. So when do you come together? You know, and if there's more of you and someone's the head coach, who reports that information to the head coach and does that head coach use that information or not? So I guess there's different examples depending on different environments I've been in. But again, common thread, everyone knows exactly what their role is on that day to execute it. That definitely fits some great points and I'm glad that you brought up the point of the differentiation between training environment and match day environment, what that could potentially look like and um, it's interesting, I was on a obviously you put you know the course of the Premier League run, the ECAS course so I was supporting on that about a week and a half ago and one of the key things that I, I observed and I was support, you know, encouraging coaches to think about was connection points and such points throughout the session making sure that obviously you know from the top we've got the clear clarity on terms of roles responsibilities and what we're going after but also actually checking in with one another throughout routinely throughout the session to make sure that we're still happy with where it's going and is it still going in the direction that we intended to and if needs be do we need to change anything around what we're doing is the plan still going to plan if you like and more specifically as well is the plan still the one we want to follow? Or do we want to come up with something that's a bit more ad hoc and um, adaptable, flexible, based on what we're seeing in front of us? I think there's a lot of key things in there. I guess one of the biggest things that kind of you know really stands out for me when it comes to this uh, piece around working with other coaches is just how clear are we on the outcomes that we're trying to achieve and what does that mean to us as individuals? You know, what's the, what's the information? You know, is the language even consistent? Because, you know, if I'm giving a point to the whole group and then you're going off... And then maybe sharing that same point, but using different terminology, different language. Could that be confusing? Can we agree on terminology that we're going to use to describe and define certain things that we're trying to go after within the session, whether that be on an individual or collective level? I think you know made a great point about having different vantage points in terms of where we observe the session from and what we observe for. Um, and sometimes it's actually being being in on the pitch, in the practice with the players and seeing things from a different perspective inside the pitch rather than from outside the pitch that can, make, that can make a difference for us. And also, I think one of the key things for me is what you said right at the top, knowing your strengths. Where are you most effective? Why, you know, why, what's, the, what's the rationale for that? Where's the evidence to suggest that that's the case? And then obviously highlighting those areas for development as individuals, as coaches, this is something I want to work on. This is something I want to extract. And I think as much as we talk about players, player development, um, and supporting the individual players as people, we've also got to remember that we're there as coaches. And we're also looking for development, no matter how far experienced we are. So I think that's you know there's some really key things to kind of highlight in this. So, you know, on that note, 
have you ever found yourself in situations maybe you could share with specific situations where you know you've used touch points connection points or you checking in with the coach routinely throughout the session and in addition to that have you ever found times where you've actually expressed actually I really want to work on this aspect of um, the session today in terms of something that links in with your own personal development yeah absolutely and I think it, again it comes back to the relationship piece right I think you've got to have a good relationship with the people that you're working with or at least a professional one if you like each other then it you know it can often work even better um, and I mean there was times where like even I remember in Morocco um, working as an elite coach educator primarily a bit like head of coach at a lower sort of cap three or whatever club you're not really coaching that often you know I mean every club's different but you don't have a team so I didn't want to get stale because I'd gone from coaching every day to now obviously watching coaches and delivering sort of the odd session on a course or whatever so I remember saying to Walsh like just being involved in um, sessions and I was fortunate enough, unbelievable, you know, similar to yourself, like being involved as like an assistant. So I would sometimes lead sessions where they had practice that night anyway, and I'd reach out to the national coaches who I was all mentoring anyway. And uh, they'd be like, oh, of course, come in. And um, you'd get to lead on sessions like with the under-20s women's team or under-17s or even the U15s, U17s, U20s, men's uh, youth national teams. And then there'd be times where, you get specific um, order de mission, you'd be involved in something even more specific during a camp or whatever. And then I would just ask Josh, like, hey, you know, part of my development, can I have an opportunity where I'm doing this X, Y, Z? And it was good because, you know, I mean, I've got loads of examples really where um, we used to get sent out to do certain study and license or whatever and content for the ALOC. But then he would actually give us roles where we're analysing whether it be Champions League games, you know, whether it's to a live game, thinking about the individualised coaching piece. So we had to think about a couple of things. One, the report. Um... Oh, sorry if my signal's going in and out. Can you hear me now, Yaz? Can you hear me okay? Yeah, got you back now, mate. It was just jumping in sorry. and out for a few seconds. I think it's when I walk into a private room. So so there's one where it was getting, um, doing like a study report. So video analysis, creating that video, um, and then obviously using that for content for players and teams as part of match prep. But then we also used to be able to, because I was quite fascinated around the individualised piece. So I got given a role. I was the course director for the AU for Ward, AU for Licence. And then part of that was individualised training. So then I'd watch a game or assist on a game, but then I'd be looking at specific individuals, both in the club and when they played with the national teams. And the obviously the detail around the positions they played, yeah. So on, you know, the, the challenges they face in a game and then link to their development plan, how to support them, but creating data to support that evidence, but then also creating like an individualised training plan for them and then sharing that with the club as well. That was a really cool piece. And then actually end up leading to going into the club. So when we were doing 
a, a license visit and you're in the club sort of mentoring anyway or any club visits um, we would also be able to work with the coaches in the club and say hey here's what we've seen you know for example they always played this particular player as a number six but we would see him more as a number 10 you know with the national teams but then there'll be certain things that we'd talk about and just gaining that experience really like looking at a higher lens um, and having certain roles within a game the link to my own personal development. And then again, as I said, putting that into presentations and so on. Sorry, I've got my kid who's going. No, that's all right. There's a lot in there. I think one of the other things that kind of really came out for me there, especially at the top of what you were saying, was when working with those other coaches, I'm interested to know how, how, what your advice would be to coaches and how you would deal with the a situation where maybe roles and responsibilities have been agreed and you know midway through the session someone decides to go rogue on it <laughs> um not you know sometimes unintentionally in the sense of they're so involved in what they're trying to get out of the session that they kind of forget what was what, what was actually agreed and um set out as an as a, as an as an objective if you like because i think you know i've recently like i said i was i was, I was, I was supporting the, on the premier league ecast program and that's exactly what happened. There was a couple of situations where coaches had agreed on what they were going to set out to do, and essentially, ten fifteen minutes into the into into a series of sessions, you can see that actually there's confusion on faces of people. Um, and obviously, you know, we're talking a lot there about pairings in terms of coaches. But what would your advice be then? You know, if it was kind of maybe delving into groups of three or maybe even four coaches coaching together, and obviously, it's not that common that you get that, but. You know, if 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 you are in a fortunate position where you've got that many bodies on the ground to support the delivery of a session, how would you best utilize that? Well, I think if you're in environments where like you've got that resource of staffing right, and you could actually do it, I think it'd be really good because I think gone are the days where like you have to have this one guy's like the Superman who does everything. I think the more people you've got the better. Obviously, again, it just goes back to the clarity piece that even you've said around communication, like, are we crystal clear on what we're doing and who's doing what? But I would probably divvy it up where one's managing time. So one is managing time and efficiency of time. So the time spent on activities, when we're transitioning from one to the next, even physical load. So they're specifically focusing on that if you had more people. Because then they could have conversations where Yaz says, hey, do you know what? I've gone a little bit over on this one, so we're going to have to adapt on the next one or whatever. That's fine, but he manages it. But then he's also to say, hey, we're off, like we're done. Got to cut this short. So, because sometimes I think as coaches, we can, we've all done it. We'll say we're going to spend X amount of minutes on this, but it always, sometimes it can go out the window. We adapt, don't we? So just having someone managing time, someone managing keywords, I think would be interesting. So what I mean by that is, you know, you mentioned before about the vocab, making sure we're consistent. So if we're planning for the language that we're going to use, are we actually measuring and tracking how much information we're giving to what players? Because that is easily done. You don't need loads of cameras or whatever. You can just have someone even do it notationally. But just thinking like, hey, I've spoke to Tony, I've spoke to Yaz, I've spoke to Warren, I've spoke to Lewis, I've spoke to Damien. So but I might have spoke to Tony five times. So someone tracking like how much I'm giving to certain players 
and what players maybe need less and more time to consolidate. So they're the, the sort of intervention load coach, if you like. And then obviously other people managing individuals, other people managing the group. So between the four people there, you've got clear designated roles and responsibilities on who's leading the explanations and getting things going and managing the group, who's focusing on certain individuals, who's managing the time and the intensity of the load, and who's managing the bandwidth in terms of the information players get. I think that would be a cool little task. Yeah. I think, you know what I think a really key one, and then you mentioned right at the end of that, is the importance of timekeeping. Do we have someone right. that's designated timekeeper for the session? Recognizing that you know what, this is what this is where we're at in the session. Um, not to say that we're setting specific times on what we're doing. Obviously, if you're looking at it from a SNC or a physical loading standpoint, you might you might be more specific about that. But in terms of how much time is spent on each activity within your session, which which you know you know some people go down the route of right, I've got sixty minutes, so I'm going to plan two or three practices and move it into a game or some sort. You know, some whatever variation they go with on terms of that. Uh, structure in terms of, of, of timings of their session and what practices go where. I think the timekeeping piece is so important, but even someone managing the timekeeping around how long are our interventions? What we you know what are we going after in that respect? Have we, have we discussed that? Are we going to allow ourselves one or two key um, extended interventions, if you like, and then maybe do a majority of our coaching from a a drive-by or, you know, or some, what some people refer to as a coach-on-the-shoulder perspective. Right. Um, but, you know, I think, I think there's, so, there's so much in there and I'm, you know, I'm really interested to see if anyone else has got any experiences they want to share with us or thoughts around challenges that they've had with other coaches or, you know, when, when it comes to this or any success stories around how best to go about working with other coaches because I think there's so much experience in the room as well that, you know, it's not obviously, you know, I've got my experience, you've got your experiences from both coaching and coach development perspectives. But there is there is a lot of other people in the room working in different different levels of the game as well. But just you know, while we're waiting for anyone else to get involved potentially there, I just want to you know maybe unpack a little bit more around this idea of <coughs> sorry, around the idea of um, how how we kind of have those conversations pre session. How far in advance are we discussing what we're actually going after? Are we giving ourselves enough time to do that? You know, often I understand that you know people are busy and we've got busy lives and whatnot, but. I think if there's anything I, I can share around this one, it's you're only going to get out what you put in in terms of the planning aspect of it. Are we clear in terms of who's doing what, where, when we're doing it? And even the reflection processes, one of the key things I often look at is are we are we intentionally maybe using a blend or, or, a, or a difference of approaches in terms of how we intervene, especially when it comes to Q&A as well. It might be that if I'm working with you, Joe, and we're looking at, right, we really want to try and extract as much information from the players today, get them to explore and understand what they're thinking. And it might be, you know, me keeping around the types of questions they're using and the type of responses they might have been given. So it might be personal observations as coaches as well. I don't know what your thoughts are on that or if there's any experiences you can share around that. No, I agree with you. I think it's, it's really interesting. And again, it just... Like you said, it'd be interesting to get other people's perspective, not just mine and yours, but I would say the the more opportunity you can plan in advance. Now, the, the danger becomes, obviously, you know, everyone's schedules are different. So I don't know if there's a hard and fast rule of saying got to be this many hours before the session or whatever, because ultimately, you know, I don't know about you, but some of the best sessions I've done 
it sounds really contradictory actually in terms of being when there's been little planning like sometimes we've had some really rock star sessions where someone's got ill we've managed to cover we're doing it a bit on the fly we've had a bit of time before and to connect but it's been really good so I think the key is just making sure it's the quality of that got to be planning that takes place before talk about is having a coach who manages the opposition you know because that's another way of how coaches can work best with each other is someone being like an opposition coach and actually doing opposition coaching against each other so them being the the creating the problem for the other team to solve so if you're working on how you build up through different lines of pressure the other guy actually really focusing on managing the opposition players so that when they're pressing, they're causing those problems that you want the players to get better at. I think that's another topic of how do you manage that as well. And because I've seen coaches talk about it, but then I'd always go, well, how well did he actually manage the opposition for you? Because I don't know if that guy did, you know? Um, so it's making sure that you're holding them accountable as well. You know, if you, if you want, you know what I mean? Like if you want them to defend in a certain way, yeah. are they doing it exactly how you want? But uh, yeah, hundred hundred percent. I think also within that is there should be scope. Um, you know, and I've certainly encouraged coaches to do this. With you know, where they've taken that approach of one person is going to lead and the opposition is going to be managed by the other coach. Are we setting a time frame and how long we're actually uh, setting a problem which is actually going to directly lead into what the coach wants to work on? And how much time are we allotting to actually? We're now going to provide you with a different problem, and it might be one that's been pr- discussed prior. It might be one that's actually the coach has said. Actually, we're going to go with this instead and see how well the players maybe react to that. I mean, there's so many different kind of ways to approach this, right? Because it's fundamentally about what what the outcomes you're going after. Are you going after a specific way of playing, a specific um, tactical aspect, specific technical outcomes? Or is it we're going to start exploring this theme a little bit more? So as an example of that, you know, it could be... Right, we're playing out from the back. Okay, brilliant. So to start with, Gerard, I might need you to manage your position to, to give us a you know, reasonably high pressure to stop us from doing that. But then at some point you might throw into the mixer another another way. You might you might you might to tell the players to ease off on the pressure, or you might even set a set a protocol which is, you know, one in every three opportunities that the opposition gets to play out from the back, we need to do something different. So you can't right. be th- you know, it can't be three times in order that we're going for the high press, right? If we're going to go for the high press, you know, can we go high press, then drop off a little bit and then go back to high press? Or is it two high presses in a row and then drop off? See how the opposition responds to that. I think it's another way to stretch and challenge not only the individuals on the opposition, but also potentially the coach and recognise, right, they've changed. How does that affect the way we coach the session now? Because I think the danger we can have sometimes, obviously, is being too strict and too stringent in what the what the outcomes is and the process that we're going to look to follow rather than allowing the players to become proactive and, um, you know, a word that you like to use, really search for the information within the game. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And it's mad because I don't know how you're... I, I always remember that the A-license I did, we were actually coaching against each other and I just thought that was awesome. And I remember the guy changed the shape as well. So then it, it put a, a challenge on me that I had to, one, did I even observe it and spot it, which I did. I noticed I went to a diamond four four two, And then it was like, oh, fuck, how do we, how do I adapt that, counter that within the shape that I'm working within? 
and obviously what I wanted to achieve. And then obviously how I led the halftime talk within that. And we did that within a training session. So we were developing our sort of in-game tactics and reflection in action as well as the players. So yeah, I think it's I think it's a really good point. But yeah, sorry, I've seen we got Matt. Are you all right, guys? How's it going? Very well mate yourself. Yeah, good, good. Uh just picking up on some of your points that you guys have um have been making tonight, which is some good valid points. Uh, I I was lucky enough to um work at an academy for two and a half, three years and I had two different coaches, two one of one of which was part time along with me. Then he had to move up to the older age group because they needed a I needed a a, a full time coach. So the part time coach I was working with, we got on really well, and we'd always discuss you know phone calls every day, you know who's doing what and who's doing in possession, and we always worked out of possession one of us and one one would lead one part of the uh, one part of the uh, four parts and then. The other one would lead the other parts and, and et cetera, et cetera. So we got on really well. Had a good, we've still got a good relationship now. And when he moved on to an older age group and I had a full-time staff come come with me because obviously when you're part-time, you need, you need help. Like, So, uh, of course, we had it all set up. No problem between me and a part-time coach. So when we used to play games, new full-time staff come in from kickoff. He'd want to set it back like they do in the Premier League to the midfielder and clip it in the corners. Well, of course, you know, I wasn't happy about that. And as time went on, I had to speak to the head of academy and we had to sit down and speak about things. So it, like you said, how you how you deal with it um, is it, it can be hard because you, you work with one person you get on with. I got on with the other full-time staff. He was fine. But it's just how he presented it. He wanted to put a bit of a stamp on it, you know, and, it, and it was a bit difficult for me to 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 take on board, so I find it you know really frustrating because I've had been with this group for half a season, um, and it was you know it was a little bit difficult you know so I'm just picking up on those things about you know working together as a team, you know finding different coaches have different ideas and and you trying to either work with it or trying to you know help sort it out if that makes sense and. The other points you made, when we did coach together, whether it's full-time coach, we always had, you know, we always like, we'd go in, do our parts. And then when we used to coach the, the players individually, they would be, we called it cold, uh, cold calling. So one of us would go and do individually, while well, one's leading the session and then one did the other part. But we all knew what we were doing. So like you say, communication is key when it comes to working together whether it be a grassroots if you've if you've got time to do that i know sometimes you've only got an hour so you've got to utilize that hour but you know in academy you've got lots of coaches you know and you work together and you as long as you get the same outcome and then you relate it to the game day everything seems to work fine but sometimes it doesn't so there is that little bit of sometimes you're you're, you're battering your heads together if that makes sense Hundred percent, there, Matt. Just just to build on that, and you know, if anyone else, feel free to jump in on on, on a response to this question. You mentioned obviously two different coaches that you work with. One's probably it seems by the sounds of it a lot easier than the other to work with. Um, how, how would you go about dealing with that? Because you know, in in a lot of cases, what I've seen is where it becomes a bit challenging. One of the coaches potentially might just step back a little bit and let the other person kind of take lead. I think it's really important for me, in my opinion, that 
we actually hold each other accountable to to what we've agreed on and, and what that should look like. But interested to hear your thoughts on how you maybe go about dealing with it yourself. Well, I, I, to be fair, I used, I, I'd speak to him, um, uh, the full-time coach, uh, and, and just say, look, you know, I, that's not quite how we were started this 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 age group. Because um, he had them, so I had them at under-14s, he had them at under-13s, and we played a few games. Um, and he then reverted back to how he was playing with them. So, you know, I just said, you know, I wasn't obviously happy, but I didn't obviously take it out. You know, we had a chat after, you know, after games or after training about, you know, how we're going to play or whatever. And sometimes he didn't take it on board and sometimes he, he took it on, didn't, he took it on board. But, you know, it, if it comes to something like that, then sometimes obviously you have to take it a little bit further, if that makes sense, even though you have, t- I've spoken about it, but then when you get, the right people in the right room and you all come together and you all say, well, look, okay, that's fair enough. You know, let's try this for a few weeks, whether it be a different formation or be whether how you, how you set from kickoff just for argument's sake, because that was what was happening. Then, you know, you've, you've got to try and all pull in or try and pull in the right direction, you know, but you don't always get that sometimes, but you've just got to try and, you know, work it out between you and speak about it. A hundred percent spot on, and uh, Gerald, it'd be interesting to get your views on this as well. But something you it was quite interesting about what you said there, Matt, was um, around changing approaches, and then you know seeing seeing where it goes. I'm I'm always interested to kind of figure out how do we decide on how long is a, a, a you know a suitable time for us to assess whether this is working or not? Because I think probably for all of us we'd like to see instant results, but it doesn't always work that way. But we also don't always see immediate results in terms of it working. I'm really interested to get your thoughts on that. Whether, and Gerard, obviously to yourself and anyone else in the room as well. Now, how, how long do you give it before you agree on an approach and decide whether this is enough time? And how much of that conversation should take place? You know, when deciding what the approach is going to maybe shift towards, if that makes sense. Well, to be fair, I, I, you know, I give it oh, long enough, uh, like a few weeks or a month. You know, and like I said, you know, I always spoke about it when we went in before training you know, about the games. Uh, the training was fine. You know, we, the organisation of the training was fine. Who did what? It was just like how we'd set up from kickoff, you know, when the full-time staff, uh, when he came in to, to take the uh, the guy's part, part to his role. Um, and I said, look, we've not been playing like that. You know, we've done this. We have, you know, he's saying with formations, he wanted to change the formations. I said, look, you know, formations are picked on, you know, in my opinion, on the players, you know, so, you know, you might want to play a four-four-two, but it might not suit that group. So in my case, you know, I like a four-three-three. It suited our group with a group of players, but he wanted to go to a four-two-three-one, you know, and I said, look, it doesn't suit because we've got a lot of attacking players. So you want your attacking players and your most influential players on the pitch as much as you can and the ones that are going to excite you and get you off the get you off your edge of your seat as a coach, whether they be under 12s or whether they be under 18s, 21s, whatever it may be. So, you know, sometimes you've got to just try and come together, work it out. And maybe we, we then went one week, we go four, two, three, one. And then the following week we might do four, three, three, you know, and then sometimes then the kickoff might be not just set back and, and put it in the channel like they do in, you know, in the premiership and stuff like that. Let's try and play through the thirds or whatever it may be, you know. So 
you know, you just got a reason behind it. Everyone's time's difference on it is is completely different. It's you know, I just it comes to a point where I just had enough and I just needed to speak about it. I really appreciate that, Matt. Gerald, what are your thoughts on that in terms of how long we give it around a new approach or, you know, to decide whether the current approach is actually working or not? Yeah, it's, I'd, I'd say similar. It'd be probably a few weeks or six weeks or whatever. But where my head was going as well, it's interesting, is what happens if it's still not right? Like, you know something isn't right. Minute one. Obviously, then I think sometimes it's recognizing, like picking your battles, right? And and some you might want to pick your battle, others you might not want to. And it's whether or not we're in an environment where we've got that freedom that we can. But equally, then you know, I know there's always that phrase of when we leave the room, you know, we're all as one type of thing. You know, whether we agree or disagree, and then let's give it time. But then equally, you know, if you revisit it, is there going to be an issue where? Because I've worked in some environments where, for example, the, the director of football or whoever above you, or you know, if you're an academy coach or whatever, might be like, no, effort, it's my way or the highway. So it's then it becomes a battle, doesn't it? You know, and it's a, a difference of opinion or paradigm or whatever. And it's whether or not you're comfortable going down that road or not, you know, um, because I think that happens more often than we probably talk about really um, and I think that's, that opens up another can of worms so I think it's it's interesting because some you might have to just go do you know what we'll let this play it out but I know it's not going to work anyway and then pick the next battle you know and just let it go with the you know what I mean like you know it's not the most efficient way but they're adamant that that's the way we've got to do it and at the end of the day they're in charge I don't know it's an interesting one um, and that's why for me I always think it's good to try and get, I mean, like in the role I'm in now, we did something because I set it out, but then at the end of the year, we sort of reviewed it at Christmas, going into Mm. the spring, and I got feedback from all the part-time staff, and they basically said, fucking hell, it was a lot extra work, and actually, why don't we just focus on one or two? It was how we were evaluating the players across our values. Mm. Instead of giving them feedback on every value, let's just focus on one of the values and we'll choose which one based on what we're working on. And then it's less work for them, but it's also more detail as well. You're not trying to do everything and do nothing. Um, mm. And also it's it's good for the for the players as well because it's not information overload or the, the parents. So it's, I think it's – and that was going to be my next question actually was to Matt is that, you know, you work at a camp, you're doing all these things. How How much or how do you – uh, sort of in, inform and involve the parents in that process. So do you ever communicate with the parents to say, hey, you know, Matt and Yaz, we're doing this tonight. I'm going to be focusing on this. He's focusing on this. Or we're playing um, whoever, you know, we're playing Doncaster or we're playing Rochdale or whatever in the games programme on Sunday. But my role on the game is going to be this. You're going to see so-and-so. Do you ever do that? If at all, I don't know. I just I thought I'd open that up as well. Well, to, to be fair, and with games, um, we always had like uh, a PowerPoint that the starting eleven. Um, obviously, um, what they're asking as the academy is their philosophy. What's going to happen? Um, certain individuals that have you know 
what they call is their E Triple P players, the better players that they work with, we'd work with on certain nights, that they'd have their key roles and responsibilities and what they're looking, what we're looking for them to do. So they had a PowerPoint. Um, they always had it 48, 24, 48, 24 to 48 hours before a game on a, on a Sunday. Um, and then it was, when it was two part-time staff, it was a lot to try and do that and try and do stuff with the parents regarding training. We did try and do it, but obviously when you're part-time and you finish work at different hours, to do that and to send it all to the parents. But they always had what, you know, what we were doing each week, as in the philosophy, as in it might be a full week of uh, our possession, then it might be four weeks in possession, and then you've got transition, or, you know, in that as well, you've got 2v2 to finish or 3v3 to finish within your parts you're doing. So there was always, um, you know, the parents always knew what was going on as if they, you know, they might not know what the sessions are, as in what we planned for the boys, as in what we're going to do in possession tonight. We tell the boys, because obviously, like I said, you know, repeating myself a little bit, as in when you're with part-time staff, two of you doing it it's a it's a lot of work um it was a little bit easier when i had um a part of full-time staff but then that was more down to him to try and sort that out but once again you know when you're at cat three academy you know it's it's still a lot of work if that makes sense yeah for sure that the only reason i was asking was because you know we we often talk a lot about all these things that we can do better right as, as coaches and for me, it's how well do we engage with the parents? So, you know, how well do we we inform, inspire and involve the, the the parents in that, you know, and just keep them in the loop on what we're doing and why, just to give them a rationale behind how we're working. And because, of course, by involving them, you know, it's keeping them in the process and hopefully it makes that when they are in that car ride home or they're sat at dinner and they're talking, you know, they can obviously make sure that the messages are aligned as well. That was the only reason I asked, which I think is pretty cool. No, that's fine. Is it? Sometimes, obviously, it's difficult um, for parents to keep, re- you know, relating and you know with what we're trying to do. As in, or any, I, I can only vouch for us because sometimes you get parents that are. I know we might be going off it a little bit, but sometimes the parents aren't really clued up to be, you know football people if that makes sense or they they don't they don't look at the bigger picture they're just looking at you know what such what such and such may have done or you know some of it might be a little bit more you know you could have done that better or you you know for some you know I, I agree what you're saying you know it's but some some parents aren't always like that so it can be a little bit different but we always engage the parents they're always there to watch you know if they we're always there to talk after if they wanted um anything or we always had our session plans with us so if they always wanted it you know it was always available but like you said like i said you know it's a bit difficult when you know you've got two part-time staff working together on a you know when it's a full-time basis if, if that makes sense I think I think you're I think you're spot on there, Matt. And I think you know you've, you've got to recognise as an individual um, 
our time, our resources in that respect. Obviously, being a full time member of staff, you've probably got a lot more, a lot more time available to kind of really consider these things. And ultimately, as you quote unquote your full time job, right? Um, however, I think something something worth noting is what you said, Gerard, earlier around. You know, we need to leave the room all as one, if you like. And I think that you know that's a really key, really key message to kind of really take heed on, in that. We don't have to agree on our opinions, but we have to agree on an outcome. Um, I think we're all going to have different perceptions, different opinions, different uh, experiences that that kind of inform an impact on those as well. But as long as we're clear on what we're going after as a group of coaches, as a, as a pair, as a team, um, or as a collective staff group, I think it's really key. But something worth really mentioning here as well, and I think it's probably a conversation for another day in particular, but how how well aligned are you as a coach with the environment you're going into? I think, you know, some of us can be so quick uh, to go after a role or go after a position within a certain organisation, whether that be an academy or outside of that, that sometimes, I you know, I see it all the time where some co- coaches end up compromising their own personal values and beliefs and uh, what they believe to be the right thing to do in search for a role, if you like. And I think, you know, I, I get it, that, you know, <laughs> You know the the idea of having a job in an academy can be a, a great thing for some people, and if it's not an academy, wherever wherever else it may be. But I think it's really important that we understand that if fundamentally we don't align with what the organisation is chasing or going after, if you like, and we really have to question whether it's the right environment for us. Um, whereas in most cases, what you might often find, and you, can, you might sometimes find, is that there's some fundamental things that are agreeable between the organization and yourself as a coach and you know you can learn to live with those and work around those and um look at the look at the positives and potentially extract some of the, some of that out of it but i think you, you've got to have from a general standpoint a real alignment with what the organization's trying to trying to achieve and that goes for all the people in the organization um so just thought i'd add that as a, as a, as a final point on that but no matt, matt i really appreciate you know you, you coming up and obviously speaking to us and sharing some of your experiences and insights with us but, you know, Gerard, I'm not sure if you've got anything else you want to add in, or if anyone else has got any other questions or insights they want to kind of share with us at this point. No, nothing from me. I just think it's a really interesting conversation and one that, again, it's, it all goes down to the relationship and communication around roles and responsibilities, doesn't it? I think that's been one. And we've probably shared a, a couple of different examples, haven't we, whether it be in training or match day on how different coaches can sort of co-coach, if you like, and even co-design what it is they're trying to achieve. Um, but the key with that is the communication piece around how we're clear on what each person's doing and why. Yeah, you know, what you've always said is is pretty you know, spot on, you know, what we spoke about. And there's one thing that, you know, our, as a coach, you know, on my journey there's one thing you have to be as a coach you have to have an open mind you know there's going to be there might be times where you're not going to like it which I didn't I had an open mind I left it for a bit we spoke about it it did we we managed to adapt and you know obviously I'm talking about academy levels where you've got to have you know alignment we always left that room you know otherwise because if you're not towing the line you're out the door and no academy coaching isn't for everybody but you've got to have an open mind. And then at, at the end of it, if it's not for you, whether it be an academy, whether it might be a, a grassroots club that, you know, not 
you know, that you don't like the way they play the football or whatever it may be, but at least you've had a go and you've, and you've seen something a little bit different. So then you can move on. But as long as you've got an open mind, you'll be a big learner. And that's one of the biggest things that I, I've taken from my coaching journey. Have an open mind, go in there. You know, if it's not for you after a while, then obviously you've got to go or you've got to toe the line um, and, and, and build on it to get your experience and get your, get your knowledge up to where you want to go. I think you're spot on, Matt. Um, Gerard, unless you've got anything, like I said, any final final points you want to add, I think it's probably a good time to wrap up, man. No, all good, mate. Yeah, just want to let them know where they can find a little bit more about what you do in the ULMB platform. If anyone wants to check it out, feel free to follow us on Twitter. Scott Jones. Uh, again, we're all in the same game, so great to share ideas. Also, I've got my ULMB platform where you can access online courses and mentoring services with myself and Yaz. Awesome. And guys, similar to Gerard, you know, um, range of different th- things that we're working on at the moment. First of all, thank you very much for everyone that's been involved with us tonight. Matt, thank you obviously for sharing your insights and your experiences with us um, and answering our questions. I think it's been really a useful information for a lot of people in the conversation. Please make sure you're joining us, guys, on a weekly basis. Make sure you're following myself and Gerard. Check out the ULMB platform. Also, check out the Coaches Network podcast. Myself and Gerard will you know, we'll be planning a few more webinars over the next couple of months. So make sure you check out those as well. And until next time, guys, take care. Have a great weekend, great evening, and good, a good week of coaching. There you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care.